You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Matt Hart. So my name's Matt. I'm part of our family ministries team here at New Hope. And would you just join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we just come before you today and we are just so thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather to give you praise and honor and glory. And Jesus, may my words today not be mine, but may they be yours. And may you speak to the hearts and the minds of those that are hearing this. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to tell you a story about an individual I met a few years ago. His name is Bob. And Bob was telling me a story about an individual that lived just down the street from him that owned a large ranch with several racehorses and all kinds of racing equipment. And he said that this individual had kind of reached a point in his life where he had decided to retire and he was going to sell everything that he owned, including all of the racehorses. And so Bob said, well, I was in the market for, of all things, a used manure spreader. Didn't know there was a market for such a thing, but apparently there is. And he said, so I went to the ranch and I started to walk around and, you know, look for this used manure spreader. And he said, I found it and I was excited, but something caught my attention and it was a horse. It was the only racehorse left at this time. And he said, this particular racehorse captured my attention because of its pure size. He said, it made the other horses that probably would have been there look like miniature poodles. Now, does anybody know how a horse is measured? In hands. All right, good job. So, horses are measured in hands, which is an old practice from before there were standard measuring tools. And Bob said he went up to the the owner of the ranch and he said, so can you tell me how many hands this horse is? This horse was 17 hands, which just in case you're like, well, what does that mean? It's the equivalent of an 11 foot, six inch basketball center. Just let that sink in. So full height from head to hoof was roughly about eight feet. In other words, it was a very imposing animal. And so Bob was just kind of breathtaking by this horse. And as he stood there and was talking with the owner, the owner said, do you want to buy it? (laughs) And Bob did what most of us would do. He reached in his back pocket, he grabbed his wallet, he looked and he said, well, I have $1. Wouldn't you know? The owner looked at him and he said, sold. Because this particular horse had an injured tendon, figured his racing days were over, and so because of that, he just wanted to get rid of it. So after Bob decided, okay, this is a legit deal, we're going to take the horse, he got it to his house, and he had a 100-acre field, and he was walking it one day because, you know, you got to walk before you learn to ride. And so he's walking the horse around on the lead rope, and something happened to spook this horse. And it reared up on its hind legs and took off. Well, Bob was probably in his 60s at this time, late 60s. And he did what most of us would do in that instance. He took off after the horse. 
In case you're wondering, he didn't catch it. But eventually he decided, okay, enough is enough. And he went back to the barn and he grabbed himself, not the horse, himself a bag of carrots. And he started to eat just to kind of, you know, rejuvenate himself and wait and see what was going to happen. Well, about 15 minutes later, this horse just casually returned to the barn as Bob was eating his carrots. And order was restored. Now, why do I tell you that story? Well, because sometimes we need to stop chasing the horse and we just need to go back to the barn. You see, today we're in kind of the middle of our series, The Words of Jesus. And we're going to look at a specific exchange between Jesus and an individual who was really chasing a horse. And it's a familiar passage that if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard. It comes from Matthew chapter 19, picking up at verse 16. And here's what it says. Whoops. It says, someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who's good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which one, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all of these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Now, this particular narrative features a rich young man who is also referenced in Luke's gospel. But this particular passage, it focuses on the ideas of radical discipleship and really the true nature of God's kingdom. And in Luke's gospel, as he tells the story, he ascribes a rich young ruler to this young man meaning that he was probably one of the leaders of the synagogue, maybe even a Pharisee. Maybe because of his position in the community, he had a lot of wealth that he was able to give to the poor. But whatever the case was, this man came to Jesus on this particular day to ask a very specific question. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? You see, he wants eternal life. And he thinks that there's some specific act that if he does this, this particular thing beyond the law, that he would make it into heaven. And this was not uncommon of this time period because many Jews believed that there was a specific act of goodness that could win them eternal life. And this young man wants Jesus simply to tell him what that act is. Now, we know the story. Jesus tells him, you need to obey the commandments. He proceeds to list roughly some of the Ten Commandments, and then he adds the second part of what we call the Great Commandment from Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus explains that by keeping those, you will experience eternal life. Now, arrogant, I'm sure, this rich young ruler 
looks at Jesus and says, I have all that. I've done all that. But then he asks a question. Did you notice what it was? He asks a very specific question. What else must I do? What else must I do? He knows there has to be something because in his heart, it's telling him there's more to life than just simply checking a box of do's and don'ts. Maybe he's thinking to himself, well, if I just help enough old ladies across the street from getting trampled by a camel, then I'll be okay. Or maybe if I go and I make some protest signs that say, Caesar, go home, and I organize a protest against Rome, then that will be the deed. But Jesus, calm, cool, and collected, says one simple phrase, get rid of your money and your possessions and follow me. Now, here's the thing. That's a pretty hefty deal for this guy. Because our passage tells us he was wealthy. And Jesus is saying, get rid of that. Now, the task of selling his possessions would not in and of itself give him eternal life. But it would demonstrate radical obedience. That would be a first step on this man's journey to become a follower of Jesus. You see, this young man said, well, there's plenty that I need to do. There's more that I need to do. And Jesus says, sure, but it centers around an adjustment regarding your wealth. You see, by putting our treasure in heaven and following Jesus along the road of selflessness and service to others, this young man who was full of promise and potential could have his assurance. This man's many possessions made his life comfortable. It gave him power and prestige. So when Jesus told him to sell everything, he was literally digging at the core of his security and his identity. Now, as we know, this guy found he couldn't meet the one requirement. He couldn't turn his whole heart and his whole life over to God because the assurance that he wanted of eternal life was out of his reach because he felt like the price tag was simply too high. He came to Jesus wondering what he could do, but he was left seeing what he was unable to do. And therefore, he missed the opportunity to be with Jesus. You see, what separates us from heaven is not our lack of money for charity. It's not our lack of religious activity. What separates us from God and the relationship that God desires to have with us is a word that we don't like to talk about a lot. It's the word sin. You see, sin is the stuff that you know you shouldn't do, but you do it anyway. Or it's the stuff you know you should do, but you don't do. I had a professor in college who told me, he said, sin is defined as missing the mark. Yeah. Because it's in our hearts, and we know we're sinners. But Jesus says, whoever believes in him will have their sins forgiven and have a home in heaven. Now, I want to push a little bit more. Maybe you're sitting there today and you say, well, okay, I believe in Jesus. I've gone to church. I've even read parts of my Bible. 
But let me ask you a question. Do you really believe? Because when the Bible uses the word believe, here's what it is is saying belief is. I believe that Jesus is my only hope of forgiveness and a home in heaven. I have no backup plan because there is no backup plan. All my trust is in him and what he did for me. I can't get there on my own effort. No matter how hard I try, no matter how good I am, because no matter how good I am is not good enough. Is that what you mean when you say you believe? You see, the rich young man needed to get past what he was leaning on and depending on and come to Christ with a humble, childlike faith, which is exactly what Randy was talking about last week. And Jesus extends this positive invitation to this young man in verse 21. And so I just want to ask the question today. Have you accepted that invitation personally? I'm not talking about anybody else in your family. I'm talking about you specifically. Have you accepted that invitation to come and follow Jesus, to believe? And if you say, I don't know, or maybe you say, not yet, come and talk to one of our staff, one of our pastors. We would love to have a conversation with you about that topic. But, Let me switch gears. To those of you who have placed your faith in Christ and you claim to love and follow him, I want to challenge you. When other people look at your life, do they see the truth of Christ and his salvation in you? Will others see that you trust in the work of Jesus on the cross? Or will they see you kind of hedging your bets as being religious just in case Jesus wasn't enough. You see, I hope that they see you trusting Jesus. I hope that they see you living out of love and gratitude, not out of a sense of obligation or fear. But can I be honest with you for a minute? The world sees plenty of religion. And in case you haven't noticed, they're not really big fans of it. They don't like it because they feel like it's phony. But one thing that I've noticed is those that are outside of the church, those that are outside of Christianity, they appreciate the people who honestly and genuinely believe and love Jesus. And when they see that love working itself out in every area of our lives, they begin to gain respect for us. They begin to gain respect for Jesus. And they're more willing to listen to us when we tell them about him. Which leads us to our first lesson. There are three today. The first lesson is this, is eternal life is found only in Christ. You see, this rich young man believed that religious observance would get him into heaven. He, like so many people today, think that because they fulfill a religious requirement of some kind, they're guaranteed eternal life. And so people put their faith in all kinds of things, baptism, church membership, Bible reading, prayer, all of those things are valuable and wonderful. Or maybe they put their own faith in their own morality, trying to keep the commandments on their own power. But the problem is, none of those guarantee anything. It's only through Christ 
that we can have eternal life. So let's go back to the passage that we're looking at. Because the second two lessons come from the passage, picking up at verse 23. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you, that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. You see, Jesus explains that it's hard, not difficult, but hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. And he used a common Jewish proverb of a camel being unable to go through the eye of a needle. Now, I will tell you, many of you have already come to expect this, that when I give a message, I usually have some kind of prop. Unfortunately, my camel guy was on fall break, so he was unable to deliver today. But I want you to imagine that there's a camel here with me. And imagine that camel trying to fit through the eye of the needle. Not real possible, is it? But Jesus was using an exaggeration to make a point. He was literally referencing a sewing needle. And so you can see how hard Jesus is making this particular situation. The idea is that it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven without Christ. In other words, wealth can be a stumbling block. The rich often have their most basic needs met, right? And what they don't, they go out and buy. And they become self-reliant. And when they feel empty, they buy something else to dull the pain that was meant to drive them towards God. In their abundance and their self-sufficiency, they've allowed that to become their deficiency. And as this guy sadly shows us, people who have everything can still lack what's most important. Now, it's important to know that Jesus didn't say it's wrong to be wealthy. Nothing in Scripture says it's a sin to gain wealth through honest means. But what he's saying here is that when your wealth gets in the way of you following Jesus, it's wrong, and it needs to be set aside. And in fact, we can say that about pretty much anything, can't we? That when anything comes before God, it can become an idol. I'm going to step on some toes. 
What about your favorite sports teams? There's a lot of blue. Not saying the Colts are a bad thing to follow, but does it get in your way of following God? What about political involvement? Money. Recreation. Maybe for some of us, we've made our families an idol. You see, idols keep us from seeing our true need for God, just like the case of this young man. And if you pursue wealth at the expense of pursuing Christ, you will miss out on what he has to offer you. And most importantly, you miss out on the promise of eternal life that Jesus came to earth to bring to you and I. So don't let possessions keep you from eternal life. And one, one more heartbreaking thing that I really see among Christians is how quickly they are able to, let's just be honest, discard following Christ for the pleasures of focusing on themselves. They say they love Christ, but they really love themselves. And they'll do whatever it takes to make sure they have everything they need and they want. What does that tell the world? It tells the world that Jesus isn't really what we need. So will they see it in you? Will they see it in us? Which leads us to the second lesson. When possessions get in the way of following Christ, it can affect our lives. You see, this young man, like so many people today, he let the pursuit of wealth and possessions keep them from following Christ. Remember, Jesus isn't saying wealth is wrong. But the issue comes whenever something comes between you and him and you lose out on the full and abundant life that Jesus promises to those who follow him. So are you living for Christ? Are you living for yourself? Let's go back to the text. Because specifically there's a question that the disciples ask. And that specific question that comes to us is a question that for many of us, we kind of skim over and we don't really understand why they ask it. But the Jewish belief of the time was this, is that wealth was a sign of blessing or God's favor. So if a wealthy person couldn't make it into heaven, who can? Again, it shows emphasis on the fact that our possessions are what so many people put their faith in, both for the now and for what's to come. But Jesus says we need the goodness of God. In other words, salvation doesn't depend on anything we have or anything we do, but it depends on God himself. Now, this was a totally foreign way of thinking to the disciples. And so Peter, surprise, surprise, speaks up for the rest of the gang in verse 27, which leads us to the third lesson of this passage. And lesson three is this, is there is a reward for following Jesus. Because what's Peter ask? What will we get? You see, Peter's question emphasizes that the disciples had done the ultimate self-denial. They had followed Jesus' call. Now, we read that and we say, well, Peter's question seems a little bit selfish. 
But he was merely thinking about the rewards from his Jewish background. You see, in the Old Testament, God would reward people according to his justice and his obedience, which would bring a reward. And Jesus explains to Peter that obedience and an immediate reward are not always linked together. If they were, good people would always be rich. And suffering people would be a sign of sin. But we see the opposite all the time, don't we? Wicked people getting rich and good people getting sick and even passing away. You see, the disciples' true reward and our true reward is God's presence and power through the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter and the other disciples had paid a high price. They had left their homes, their jobs, their families to follow Jesus. And Jesus was reminding them that following him has its benefits, but it also has its sacrifices. And Jesus assured the disciples that anyone who gave up something valuable for his sake would be repaid a hundred times over, but maybe not in the same form. You see, for each one of us, sacrifice is necessary, and it may be different, but that doesn't make it less difficult. We may have a little or we may have a lot, but are we willing to give it all to follow Jesus? The young man wasn't. So what are some of the things we have to give up to follow Christ? Well, I want to give you three, and this is not an exhaustive list. But the first thing is doing things our way instead of doing things the way Jesus says to do them. Does anybody struggle with doing what they know they're supposed to do, but doing what they really want to do instead? You see, Jesus knows what he's talking about. But we like being the boss, don't we? We like being in control, or at least having the illusion that we have control. So doing things our own way instead of doing things the way Jesus says to do them. Or what about this? Our previous beliefs about essential and non-essential issues. Does anybody have that friend, because it's not us, who likes to go onto social media or you know, send you those joyful text messages just to stir up a little bit of controversy and debate about whatever the latest hot-button issue is? I know I have one. And the question is, is that essential or is it non-essential? Do I need to debate with them? No, I don't. Or what about this last one, and this is a tough one, our career plans and our financial goals? Chances are when you were a young child or a teenager, you probably had your life mapped out. I know I did. I could tell you at 12 years old what I was going to do with my life, and it was not what I'm doing today. I'm really thankful that God intervened and said, no, we're not going to go that route. We're going to go this route. And that I listened. So, Real discipleship is a willingness to follow totally. To follow totally. 
and to accept the consequences because there will be some. Real discipleship is a willingness to surrender everything to and for the service of Jesus. And it's the only path to reward. So some of you may be sitting there today and say, okay, I've listened to this. What do I need to give up to follow Christ? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. But what I can tell you, and I'm just being totally frank, is there are times that I don't personally want to say yes to what Jesus has called me to do. But I can tell you that it's worth it. I can tell you that it's worth it because of what I've seen and what I've heard from the mouths and lives of other people. I can tell you that it's worth it because of many of you in this room today. I can tell you it's worth it because of what I've seen in my own life. You see, when I hold out my own personal devotion and my own allegiance to Christ, I oftentimes find that I miss out on some of the greatest things that he has for me. And I don't want you to miss out on some of the great things that he has for you. But when we're blinded by our own ambitions and our own ideas, we can't often see that Jesus' way is the best way. God desires to bring into focus what we need to be concentrating on and what we can really gain from being sold out. So I want to leave you with a couple questions. What will people see when they look at us? Sam, can you put that up on there? Thank you. What will people see when they look at us as a church and as individuals in the world? Hopefully, they will see people that are not sold out on a Sunday, but holdouts the rest of the week. Will they see that in you and in me? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for difficult passages such as this. Passages that cause us to stop looking at ourselves, our own possessions, our own desires, and to focus on what it really means to be a follower of you. Real discipleship is a willingness to go totally and completely all in with you. It's a willingness to surrender comfort and sometimes even security to do what you've called us to do, as we heard earlier today, to go and to make disciples. So Jesus, we pray that we wouldn't be sold out on Sundays and holdouts the rest of the week, but that we would be sold out every minute of every day with every breath that we take. That we would be committed to following you in the good times and the bad. And Jesus, that you would lead us, guide us, and direct us. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, as we take a moment and reflect back on what we just went through, 
I want to ask you a couple questions today. The first one is this. What do I need to do to move from holdout to sold out? And then the second question that's in a similar vein, what will it take for you to move from lip service to life service? Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.